Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Privacy rights in the digital age. It's part of a criminal case that the Supreme Court will consider in the upcoming term. But some of the most prominent high-tech companies have filed a friend of the court brief in this case of a convicted armed robber. More than a dozen companies, including Apple, Google, Facebook, and Verizon, are asking the court to make it harder for law enforcement to get cell phone data by requiring a warrant. The case doesn't involve the collection of intimate information, but rather the collection of cell site location information that can reveal where a person has been. We'll be discussing the implications for the privacy of personal data in the hands of a third party with our guest George Newhouse, a partner at Denton's and a former federal prosecutor, and Scott Vernick, a partner at Fox Rothschild. George, tell us a little about the criminal case here so that we can put this in context. Happy to do so, June, and, and good morning. Um, the case arises from a, a, an appeal by a guy named Timothy Carpenter, who was convicted in 2013 of robbing a series of stores in Maryland and Ohio. And federal prosecutors in that case, and this is usually the situation in these cases, you have to prove that it was the defendant who committed the robberies. And they, they did that in part by placing him near the site of various robberies using uh, cell phone location information, which is basically your, with our mobile phones, our mobile providers know at all times exactly where we are. Uh, because there's a cell phone tower that is picking up your signal. That information does not convey, of course, what was discussed over the phone. Uh, typically, federal prosecutors and state prosecutors obtain that information by way of a subpoena, which is to say they, they issue a grand jury subpoena that requires not even probable cause, simply the, a reasonable belief that there might be relevant information. And that information, of course, <clears throat> helped convict Mr. Carpenter. So he is now claiming that that was a search under the Fourth Amendment. And if it's a search, it wasn't supported by a warrant, uh, even questionable whether there was probable cause. So it is yet another interesting application of novel technology to the Fourth Amendment. And Scott, what's the government's argument for not requiring a warrant in a case like this? Well, I think the government has sort of at least one principal argument, and that is that under a doctrine previously adopted by the Supreme Court uh, in a case called Smith, uh, the view is, Smith versus Maryland to be more specific, from 1979, the view is that uh, the information uh, that consumers give up uh, to their cell phone companies, uh, and by extension the cell phone towers, is sort of voluntarily given up, uh, and it's sort of a voluntarily uh, disclosed uh, business record. Uh, and 
because of the quote-unquote voluntary nature, there's no reasonable expectation of privacy uh, expected in the record that the phone companies have, and therefore there's no need to have any Fourth Amendment protection around it uh, because essentially the consumers have relinquished that uh, you know, when they give up that information uh, to their cell phone provider. Now, the question that the privacy advocates really raise is whether or not it's really voluntary. I mean, when you and me and George, when we sign on to our cell phone carrier contracts, I'm not sure how voluntary an act that is. That's pretty much what the lawyers would call a contract of adhesion. The terms are the terms. You either pay them or you find a different carrier. And so I think that, you know, that's part of it, that you can't really relinquish a constitutional right unless you, unless you do so in a knowing and voluntary way, and there hasn't been any real voluntary characteristic here. In addition to which, there's just sort of the overall notion uh, very much present when the Supreme Court ruled in uh, the Jones case, which dealt with a GPS device, and in the Riley case, uh, which in which Justice uh, Roberts said that you needed a search warrant to look in a cell phone. That again, you know, the the way that the there there is so much that digital information you know, tells us about people today um, that clearly it couldn't have been contemplated by the framers of the Constitution. And the problem is, is that if you were to take George's cell phone location data over a period of time, or yours, let's say over a year, and yeah, look I think at they should, I think they should take June's. <laughs> George, you know, uh, we have in a, in about just 30 seconds, and we will return to this argument, but... What is the significance of these tech companies, high profile, intervening in this criminal case? A great question, June. It needs to be drilled down upon because the tech companies are generally resisting what some people see, certainly I do, as legitimate requests by law enforcement for um, data on people's cell phones. Apple, for example, refused to provide um, the key, the back door to allow the the uh, FBI to break into the cell phone uh, by the San Bernardino terrorists. Um, they are currently resisting requests and prosecutors in the in District of Columbia, even search warrants, and they want to get information to uh, enable law enforcement. I understand the need for privacy, but it is interesting because... All right, hold that phone- thought, George. Okay. We are going to talk more about this coming up on Bloomberg Law. At an event in New Zealand last month, Chief Justice John Roberts expressed concerns about the law keeping up with the privacy implications of new technology. Quote, there are devices now that can allow law enforcement to see through walls, heat imaging, and all this kind of thing. Well, what does that do to a body of law that's developed from common law days in England about when you can search a house? I've been talking with George Newhouse, a partner at Danton's and a former federal prosecutor, and Scott Vernick, a partner at Fox Rothschild about a case before the Supreme Court involving cell phones. George, how far is the law behind the technology? Well, the law is actually keeping up with technology fairly quickly, but the problem is the law can't anticipate, as Justice Roberts pointed out, the next uh, advance so that we're getting these novel questions. And this one is a, a a great example. You know, cell phone data, location data, really is the equivalent of everyone carrying around, if they've got their cell phone, um, a personal locator beacon. And, and it is and can be chilling to think that that information can be available to the government 
on on a showing really of, of that would equivalent to getting a, a, search, uh, a subpoena, not a search warrant. So that is that is the problem. That's why every one of these cases that comes up is so interesting to look at because there isn't the body of precedent that the courts usually depend upon in issuing these rulings. Scott, the Supreme Court has limited the government in some recent cases involving a GPS to track a suspect's movements and requiring a warrant to search a cell phone of a person who had been arrested. So does the court seem to be going in the direction of protecting a person's privacy from government intrusion without a warrant? Well, I think it's a little hard to say uh, because the cases really don't yet indicate a trend. I mean, when you look at the Jones case, which had to do with installing and monitoring a GPS device on a suspected drug dealer's vehicle, the difficulty there is that uh, the car was actually located on a driveway at the point at which the GPS monitoring device was put on the car. And part of the court's reasoning is that the law enforcement actually went on to the driveway to install the device. And so uh, part of what influenced the decision was the GPS device, but also clearly law enforcement had gone on to private property. And I don't think anybody disputes that a driveway is private property without a warrant. And so there were some traditional notions there of expectation of privacy that were obviously influencing or seemed to be influencing the court's decision. All right, Riley, so let, I, think, I, I, ahead, I just I want, to, I want to see if George agrees with that. Do, do you see a trend, George? You know, I agree with Scott. I think it's very difficult to see a clear trend. Uh, the cases are really going both directions, and so it really gets down to what is a reasonable expectation of privacy with respect to the current, if you, for lack of a better term, intrusion or government gathering certain data. Hard to know where the court's going to go. Certainly, the more novel the use of technology, as in thermal, these thermal imaging devices, um, the more likely it is that the court is going to say, hey, you know what, that's, that's beyond the pale. That's something that uh, now gives the government access to data that um, uh, no one would have anticipated. The cases seem, and, and certainly Smith versus Maryland is an example, uh, are turning on, you know, did the individual affect whose Fourth Amendment rights were affected, did that person have any reason to know that his data was being shared, for example, the, uh, with, with the phone company? You know, you know when you dial a phone number that that information is being shared with a third party, the phone company, and therefore it can be shared with the government. Scott, does this case have implications beyond hysterical, historical, sorry, does the case have implications beyond historical cell phone data? Oh, I think I, I think it absolutely I think it absolutely does. I mean, you know, I, I uh, certainly without a doubt. I mean, uh, you know, one of the areas that is still uh, very much uh, open to question and uh, and open uh, in terms of jurisprudence or whether or not you know the cases have been decided is the case that George mentioned earlier on. You know, which is whether or not, for example, uh, courts can force. Uh, telef- uh, can force uh, cell phone providers or the or the makers of OEM equipment like Apple and uh, Samsung and others to produce a back to produce a backdoor uh, for encrypted communications. And so I think that you know what is decided here may well have implications for that. I mean that's the San Bernardino case where essentially Apple said, well we're not you know everything's encrypted and we're not going to create a backdoor because you know that's a very slippery slope once you once you start down that path. Similarly. 
you know, there's still a fair amount of uh, consternation and contention over whether or not when American tech companies locate data abroad in data centers, for example, in uh, the European Union, um, you know, whether or not uh, search warrants uh, extend or don't extend to that data. And so, you know, I think that the the thing that uh, the Fourth Amendment didn't quite see, and no reason why it should have been able to look around the corner, is, you know, the traditional uh, kinds of activities of law enforcement were very pronounced and very present at the time. The tremendous collection and aggregation of data and what you can do with that and how intrusive that can be in terms of our personal lives, I think that was a pretty hard thing for the framers to see at the time, All and right, that's so really what the courts are struggling with. In about... Th- 30 seconds, George. What does it say that these companies are getting more and more involved in cases that don't involve them? What it tells me is that these companies have a business interest, which is understandable, in assuring their customers that they're standing up for and protecting their privacy rights. Um, As Scott mentioned earlier, they go to great lengths to now provide multiple layers of encryption and encrypted data. And uh, the fact that you'd have this petition Supreme Court signed by Apple, Google, Snap, Twitter, uh, Facebook, tells me that these companies uh, have a marketing interest have to in... to stop um, you there. We could talk about okay. this for hours. Thank you both. George Newhouse of Dentons and Scott Vernick of Fox Rothschild. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get Our Way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.